0: If you've been coming to this church for any length of time, you know I do preach frequently from Psalm 145. I love the spirit of David, the writer there, as he kind of sets forth the spirit of anticipation. Um, I like the word anticipation. It, sometimes it's viewed in a negative light, but I think anticipation is a great word. And Ms. that's already doing it. If you don't know the sign for it, that's what it is. It's just a very simple sign. You're rubbing your hands together like you're excited about something. And uh, facial expressions are a big part of sign language, and so... Anticipation is important when you do that. We have that facial expression there. and You see David's anticipation as he says, I will extol the eye of my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee." He's anticipating the God that has done things in the past, will continue to do things in the future because of the expectancy and the anticipation today. Um, may, may I just introduce a thought? I feel like sometimes, too many times in life, we are defined by the wrong tense, the wrong tense. It seems like when we are talking to a little child, someone that's four, five, six, seven years old, a common question we ask them is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And of course, a child's answer at four years old is usually very different than when they're 24 years old, but you hear all kinds of interesting answers, and I love talking to teenage boys across the country when I preach, and now they're going to tell me they're going to play in the NBA someday, and I I have to fight hard not to laugh in their face, but I'm glad they have big dreams, right? But but you ask a child that. Then when you talk to the older generation, the more seasoned generation, they seem to always go, well, back in the day, way back I did this, it was that and this and that and this and so on. And then you got the middle-aged crowd, which I guess I'm officially a part of now, and we don't know what tense we're in. We're in the state of confusion, right? Now, let me, let me give you an example of that today, okay? Let me give you an example. I'm going to ask you a very simple question about a very famous Bible character. very, very Famous? See, there's that secondhand marijuana now. The famous... Uh, bible person personality and that is david okay when i say the name david what comes to your mind right when i say david david goliath Goliath comes to mind right a lot of that's good those are the optimists but admit it some of you said you thought of bathsheba right and those are the pessimists and my wife says she's a realist i like optimism better but a lot of times that's just what it is and it's not it's not a scold of anybody we just we just typically go to a particular. Event and we think that that one event defines a person. Some have cut David off because of Bathsheba. Some have praised him because of Goliath. But I wonder if anybody thought about the fact that he wrote 73 psalms. He wrote 73, at least 73 psalms. Some say he may have written some anonymously, and he may have even been in the category of 80 or 90, which means he wrote over half. The book of Psalms. Isn't it funny how, and maybe somebody did, is there anybody here that actually thought about that, the fact that he wrote the book of Psalms? Yeah, Mrs. Coons, we have a spiritual giant in our presence today. No, there's always someone that ruins the illustration, and she thought about that. Can I ask you a very simple question today? What has probably benefited you more? The story of Bathsheba, the story of Goliath, or the fact that he wrote 73 Psalms? See, the story of Bathsheba is a good story. I can learn some things from it. David fell into that sin because he was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. He let his eyes wander and he let lust and the flesh take over. The story of Goliath is a great story, and especially when you preach it to young men, how they can stand up and, boy, it's challenged me. But let's be honest, what do I benefit more from on a regular basis as a Christian? It's probably the fact that he wrote one of those 73 Psalms, at least. The book of Psalms has been a blessing to me many, many times as a Christian. I've journeyed through this life. And Jesus was the master at bringing people out of what has defined them into what they could become in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was always more interested in someone's future than he was in their past. And so when you go to John chapter 4, I love the book of John. Of course, you know that I've been preaching a lot from it. It's just been on my heart a lot lately. Let's go to John chapter 4. And I'd like to speak briefly on the thought of, hello... I'd like to introduce you to your future. Hello, I'd like to introduce you to your future. I, it's a brand new message. i preached it several times this summer to teenagers, or pleased to meet you, Mr. Future, is another title I have for it. And I preach it to teenagers because we think of teenagers a lot of times as, as, as embracing this future they're going to have. They're going to get married someday. They're going to start a career someday. They're going to they're hopefully be faithful to some church someday as they, as they live in this world, right? But the fact of the matter is, is all of us that are living today have something to look forward to. First of all, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. We definitely have heaven to look forward to if we're saved. If you are born again and saved by the grace of God, if you've been born again, scripturally speaking, the way the Bible teaches and preaches, you are going to heaven someday. You're going to heaven, and not because you're religious or because I'm religious. I'm not going to heaven because I was a religious person, because I got baptized, or I try to be a good person or try to live a good life. I'm going to heaven someday, and I know that. I don't wonder it. I don't hope so. I don't think so. I know how that feels, because for many years, I did think I was going to heaven. I did hope I was going to heaven, but one day I found out that Jesus does not want you to wonder if you're going to go to heaven. Jesus himself wants you to know that you're going to heaven someday. He doesn't want you to have any doubts about it. He wants you to know it, which is what he talks about in the chapter before this chapter. And I think it's significant that Jesus goes from John chapter 3, where he meets a religious man and teaches him that she must be born again, into John chapter 4, where he meets the woman at the well, who to this day, we still don't know what her name is, who was so defined by her past that when she met Jesus, she was shocked that he would even pay attention to her. Can I ask you a question today? Does your past define you today? Does your past make you think that's all you are today? Does your past have you in a p- place in your life or a condition in your life right now that just, you feel like almost sad because there's no hope for your future because you are allowing your past to define your life? Can I help you today as a friend and remind you that the past is where it belongs? It's past. Statement number one is simply this. The past has passed. The P-A-S-T has P-A-S-S-E-D. The P-A-S-T has P-A-S-S-E-D. The past has passed. That's how you sign it. The past has passed. That's another way you can sign it. In other words, there's nothing you can do about it. And I'm not here today to preach to you what you might see on TV, this prosperity gospel and tell you that you're going to be a millionaire in 10 years if you stay faithful to God and all that. But what I would rather preach is this. I don't know about you. I would love to have a million dollars. I have no problem with that. I would not be offended if God allowed me to get to that point someday. But let me tell you this right now. You know what I really want 10 years from now is to be where Jesus wants me to be in life. And see, prosperity gospels get us so enamored with the blessings that could come from God rather than the fact that God is there. You see, the woman at the well up to this point had always been a Samaritan. Up to this point had always been someone that was rejected in society. Up to this point, she had had a shady past. The Bible teaches us that she had been married five times and was living with a man and probably would not be on many people's uh, uh, radar as far as a good example for a young teenage girl to look up to. But Jesus, listen, was not interested in her past. He was more excited about what he could do with her in her future. So could I introduce you to your future today? How about this? How about we get so excited about our future because Jesus is gonna be there in our future as well and I'll show you that in just a second. All right, so number one, your past... Has passed. Your past has passed. Now that doesn't mean we forget everything in our past. I get it. It doesn't mean we 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 now. now, now Listen. I don't think we should be defined by our past. But but let's not. We can learn from our past. We can we can definitely benefit from some things in our past. And there's some good things in our past, man. I got married in the past. I had some children in the past. I got saved in the past. There's lots of good things. But listen to me. We live in a generation today that consistently dwells upon the past. And again, let me say it again because it needs to get through to us. We define our lives by our past. We define our lives by what happened 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Something that happened 30 years ago is still living rent-free in your mind today, and that's not good, my friend. We should realize that there is something better than what has P-A-S-S-E-D past. Look with me there in John chapter 4. You'll see she speaks past terminology when Jesus comes to him, her. In verse 4, the Bible says here, I love this. In John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, And he must needs go through Samaria. In verse 5, he cometh to the Samaria, which is called Sychar, all right? Now watch this. As you jump on down the verse, the Bible says in verse number 7, Jesus says at the latter part of the verse, Give me to drink. Look at verse 8, for his disciples were gone away into the city to meet. And watch verse number 9, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, ask this drink of me, and here's what it is, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Every Jew I've come in contact with in my past didn't want anything to do with me. Every Jew I've tried to talk to wouldn't talk to me. Every Jew I try to do business with would not talk to me. What makes you different? Well, I'll tell you what makes Jesus different today. He's not interested in the water that she's been drinking for the past. He's not interested in the water she's coming to get that she's been getting from the past. He's interested to tell her about the water of the present. And by the way, I want you to notice, look at verse number 10. I love the depths of the truth here. Watch this. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God and who it is, present tense, that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. Jesus says, I want to give this woman living water, water that will satisfy her soul, water that will now give her a new definition in life, a new definition in life. So number one, your past is past. Your past has passed. Now, number two, I want to show this, look at this one. Number two, your future is coming. Your future is coming. Now, let me show you some encouraging thoughts today. Let's take our Bibles. We're going to bounce around a little bit on the Bibles. This is good stuff. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Your future is coming. Can, can, I, can I let you know a little secret? One of the things that drives your past today is I, I'm very excited about my future. I really am. I don't know what it, it entails. I've already lived through tough times, many tough times. I'm sure there will be tough times in my future. But can I also say this? I've also had many blessings in my past. I'm having blessings today. And I'm excited about the blessings of the future. They need each other. I need the burdens and I need the blessing. And I'm excited about becoming a grandpa someday if Jesus tarries. If one of my daughters would get married, then maybe I could have some grandchildren. Can I get an amen right there? I hear being a grandpa is an amazing thing. I may not be a grandpa until I'm old. I don't want to be a grandpa when I'm old. I want to be a grandpa when I'm young. Amen. Right? I mean, thank God for that. That day is coming. I can be excited about revival. I can be excited about souls that are going to get saved that haven't been saved yet. We still got four months here. Or let's, yeah, four months to go. Man, my math is a little off today. Again, that car, Forgive me. All right, four months to go for 2023. I don't know, but there might be somebody that comes to church on a Sunday morning in October and gets saved. Or somebody that comes in November and gets saved. Or someone that shows up uh, in December on a Christmas Eve and gets born again. I don't know who it is. If the rapture has not happened yet, I can anticipate the future. Now, why can I anticipate the future so much? Why can I get excited about the future so much? Because of what Revelation 1 teaches. Look at Revelation chapter 1 me real quickly. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says this. I am. What tense? Tell me, church. What is it? What is the tense that Jesus says there? I am. What is the tense? It's present, I am Alpha and Omega. Wait a minute, that's the first letter of the Greek alphabet? That's the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Then he says, the beginning and the ending. The beginning is the past, the ending is the future. Sayeth the Lord which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Look, jump down to verse number 11, same chapter. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse number 11, the Bible says this, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book. And there he talks about it again. Uh, look at Revelation chapter, uh, let's see, verse 17. There it is, same chapter, verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. and he said unto, And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am, present tense, the first and the last. All right, go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to bounce around the Bible a little bit today. All right, Revelation chapter 21. This is all good stuff right here now. Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 6, the Bible says this. In Revelation 21 verse 6, it says, and he said unto me, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 6. And he said unto me, it is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain, the water of life freely. He even mentions water in this chapter again. Look at Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 13. Hang it right. Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 13. The Bible says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Wow. God is the only one that can be in all three tenses at the same time. You know why? God is not constricted by time. God is the creator of time, therefore he lives outside of time. He is outside of time, space, and matter, which means time, space, and matter does not constrict him or limit him. He's God. In the beginning, God. How do you explain that? I don't know. He's God. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of faith, but I will say this. It's a whole lot easier to believe that God created everything than it came from some big bang. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, God uses that concept of beginning and end. He knows we live in time frame world, but guess who else knows that? The devil knows that. And so the devil would love for us to consistently think, dwell upon, and live in the wrong tense so that we miss out on what God can do today. So number one, the past has passed. Number two, the future is coming. We know the future is coming. Now listen, here's the question we've got to answer today. Here's the challenge I want you to think about. What do you want in your future? All right? There's nothing wrong with making preparations financially, 401ks, retirements, all that stuff. I'm I'm for all that stuff. That's the question of what do you want in your future? But let me ask you another question Who do you want in your future? Ah, now it changes things. I know one thing I want that lady with me for the rest of my life. I like being married to her, I want to grow old with her. She still looks young. Everybody all the time, all summer long, asking if she's my daughter, right? You know, And they never ask me if I'm her son. I don't know what that is, man. It just ain't right, man. People like, they always ask, which one's the mom? Which one's the daughter? Oh, yeah. And how can you get mad at that? I mean, they're saying a nice thing about your wife. I mean, I've got to be happy about that, right? I want her in my future. I do. I want many of you. I want most of you in my future. <laughs> I, I, I do want most of you in my future. I, I definitely want my kids in my future. I, there's, I've got some good friends in my future, boy, I'm excited. About it. And then listen, and then I can't wait. Someday I'm going to go to f- heaven and see many loved ones that have gone on. Many of our church family that have gone to heaven. We get to see them someday. That's exciting. Do not let the f- future f- cause you to be fearful if you believe you're heading in the direction where Jesus is going to meet you there. All right, now watch this. Up to this point, the woman at the well had not known Jesus. Maybe she's heard of him. I don't know. She had not known Jesus. She was defined by her past. But when she met Jesus that day, her whole future got changed. All right? So now, statement number three. What we do with Jesus today determines his presence in our future tomorrow. What we do with Jesus today determines our pres- his presence in our futures tomorrow. So in other words, it starts right now, what we do with Jesus. It starts right now. Let's go back to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. The book of John. John chapter 4. Watch what Jesus says here in this in this context here, for those that don't know, Jesus actually then says to the woman that, that, that he, he tells her about her situation, about her lot in life. And she's like, wow, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She's like, you are, you are a prophet. There's something about you. You're different. How did you know all this stuff? And, and then she leaves and goes to the town and tells all those Samaritans. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what she says, maybe everything that she says. But the phrase they say is, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. That's what she says. In other words, she says, come see a man who knew about my past that defines me. But the anticipation, the spirit in which she presented Jesus made the whole town say, we've got to go check this out because this could might be the Messiah. And if the Messiah, the Christ is coming to Samaria, we rate, we're up there. The the full-blooded Jew that that, that is coming. I remember she said she was a Samaritan. She said, how do you have dealings with me? But later, for your own sake of study, if you look at that chapter closely, she does still claim the well of Jacob and she calls Jacob her father. You know why? Because she has Jewish blood in her. When she realized this Jew all of a sudden was comfortable speaking to me, she then starts to say, wait a minute, there's a little bit of a definition in my past. I am a child of Jacob too. I'm a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all of a sudden she begins to realize that maybe her past wasn't as bad as she thought it was. It's amazing that when we continue to live by the definitions of our past and we aren't enlightened sometimes in the present, we can live the rest of our lives wasting the potential that God has for our lives right now. And yet it happened so many times. I think I shared this last Sunday, but somebody asked me recently, what's, what's the most frustrating thing about being a pastor? And I said, it's seeing people not reach their potential for Christ. And they said, what is the greatest thing about being a pastor? I said, it is seeing people reach their potential for Christ. I want that for my children. I want that for my wife. I want that for you and your children. That's the desire. That's the goal. That's what I long for for everybody. We should want that. Christians ought to be the biggest cheerleaders of Christians, but we live in a generation now where Christians almost rejoice when other Christians aren't doing so well. We weep with them that weep, but we don't rejoice with them that rejoice. Christians today celebrate other Christians' failures. We rejoice when some Christian falls. And it should not be that way, my friend. We should be each other's biggest cheerleaders. We should be excited when God blesses our brother and sister in Christ. We should be rejoicing because somebody got a blessing today. We should be happy that they got a miracle in their life. We should say, wow, we're all part of the same team. Jesus did that for her. Jesus did that for him. He's done some things for me. And because of what he did for her, what he did for him, I can't wait. Because of what he's done for me, what he's going to do for me tomorrow or next week or next month. Well, what if it doesn't happen next week? Then it might happen in two weeks. What if it doesn't happen in two weeks? Then it might happen next month. What are you saying, Brother Eddie? I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm trying to live in a path that Jesus is guiding me, which means this. If I'm following Jesus today, there's a pretty safe guarantee that I'll be following him 10 years from now. But it starts today. It starts today. Look at me in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. So Jesus sent his disciples away, the Bible says. He literally sent his full-blooded disciples. He says, hey, you guys... Uh, go get something. He gave him an errand to run. Because he knew that they would be really struggling with what Jesus was about to do. But he knew that when they would come back and find him, <laughs> waist deep in it. <laughs> thank God Jesus was waist deep in it. They were not going to say anything because they were way outnumbered by all the Samaritans that were standing there listening to him now. And so here's what the G Bible says. Watch this. Verse 33. I love this. Actually, let's back up to verse number 31. I'm almost through. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Verse 33. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye. He looks at his disciples and says, Here's what you say, disciples. He's not talking to the Samaritans right here. He's talking to the disciples. Say not ye. This is what you say. There are yet four months, then come at the harvest. That's what you say. I will someday. In the future, I will. I do want to meet Jesus down the road, but I don't want to meet him today. And listen to me, if you're not meeting him today, you're going to struggle meeting him down the road. He's always able to find us, but it's harder for us to find him sometimes. Come and help me now. A lot of Christians are scrambling around in the dark today because they 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 lost Jesus, or really, you really don't lose it according to Revelation chapter 2. Thou hast left thy first love. You can't lose it. You can't lose Jesus. But listen to me, many Christians today are living a Christian life where Jesus is standing on the front porch. Knocking on the door and it should not be so, right? So here he goes. He says, say not you're there four months and then come to the harvest. Behold, behold right now, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. Right now, go ahead. Look it. There it is in the present right now. Do something. The disciples are starting to learn. Oh, my. You see, what we do with Jesus now defines where we'll be in our future. In other words, you can literally almost write your own definition of a future, especially if you don't like the definition of your past. Now, let me close with this. The woman at the well. I researched her. I studied her out. I cannot find anywhere where there's a name. They, do, they, they throw around a couple names for her, uh, but nobody's really sure about her names. But they are sure of, of a couple things about the woman at the well. All right, Now, remember, John 3, Nicodemus, okay? A man of clout, a Pharisee, a rich man. He has gravitas, he has influence, he has name, he has power, he has draw, right? Jesus tells him he must be born again. He's mentioned again in the book of John. He becomes a Christian, many believe. And Nicodemus becomes a good man and a good leader, right? But the woman at the well, listen to this. The woman at the well became such a prominent figure for the cause of Christ that she was named among the apostles. You can look it up and research it. What does that mean, preacher? To be named among the apostles means she literally was in the Hall of Fame of Christians in her day. She, watch this. It gets better. She was so well-known as a Christian and for her faith that Emperor Nero demanded an audience with her. Anybody heard of Emperor Nero before? Yeah. Emperor Nero wanted to meet this woman at the well. And when he met her, he condemned her to death, and she died a martyr's death being thrown down a dry well. That's what history tells us. Isn't it interesting she was thrown down a dry well? Now, 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 don't miss this now, okay? Don't miss this now. Some of you are like, what? that's a tragic ending. I guarantee if you ask the woman at the well, she would tell you, you don't understand. I could gladly die for the one that changed my life. She literally, they said, evangelized probably hundreds of thousands of people. Woman at the well. Married five times. Never went to school. Probably didn't have a proper education. Wasn't raised in the the sect of the Jewish scribes and Pharisees. Probably didn't know know the Old Testament like she should have, right? And yet, when she came to a well one day, she met Jesus. And the next time she met Jesus in her future was when she hit the bottom of a dry well. Isn't it funny that she died at the bottom of a dry well? But there was no problem, no worries, because she was full of living water. Because of the life that Jesus gave to her. Today, I don't care if you're 50 years old or 60 years old or 70 years old. Moses was 80 when he started. Abraham had a kid when he was 90-something. Samuel heard the voice of God when he was three. David killed a giant as a teenager. Jesus started his ministry at 30. It doesn't matter what age you're in today. As your friend, as your pastor, could I introduce you to your future? And I hope you like the future because of what you decide to do today. Had your bad eyes are closed. Thank you for listening so well today.
1: took all my sin and bore it instead, how beautiful the tender eyes, that joy